Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. So this is our first ever episode. Are you excited? So excited. Can you believe we're doing this? No. I can't. So remind me, when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed two years ago. So it was 20, oh my God, 2018. I don't know that I remembered that. Two years ago, that's it. Okay, so I was diagnosed in 2016. Mm -hmm. So you're much further like in your journey than I am. I was not, I would not have been doing this two years post treatment. Like I'm impressed. Um, But seriously, could you ever imagine that we would be doing this after a breast cancer diagnosis? Honestly, I thought once I was done with treatment, I wanted to put it behind me and I never wanted to think about it again. That's exactly how Mm -hmm. I was. I was totally that patient that was like, this isn't who I am. It's just something I went through and I'm never going to do it again. Like I'm never going to talk about it or, you know, anything. And here we are. Look at what we're doing. Agreed. I think that there's something inside of both of us that uh, we just want to make other people's lives better. So if it means sharing our lives and our experiences um, I think we're willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is that is that hard for you? It's hard for me. Like being vulnerable is not something that comes naturally to me. Uh, being a coach, I feel like vulnerability is work that I've had to do on my own. So I coach myself through vulnerability. It never makes it easier, but the conversation in my head is always put yourself out there. Vulnerability is basically the spice of life. Like this is where you get places. That's how you find find growth. So yeah, yeah. I like I like sharing. See, you're you're. I think you're healthier than I am, like mentally. <laughs> I, We're all in different places, Beth. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Good. Yeah. I will say this, that when I'm vulnerable, I have such, like so much better, deeper relationships with people. Yeah. So I don't think you can have one without the other. Like right. if you're not going to be authentic and genuine and admit that you don't have it all together, like how, I, I don't know. I only only like to be friends with real people. So maybe that's, maybe that's why we're friends. Same. So just a little encouragement for everybody that's listening. You never know where your story is going to lead. So if you're just starting treatment or you're kind of at the end and you're struggling or you're just, you know, you're upset. I mean, I was super devastated and upset when this happened to me and I could have never envisioned a scenario where I was happier than ever. And that's that's been the case for me. So I just want that to encourage you if you're listening um, that from obstacles will come opportunities. Today, what we're um, gonna talk about and share with you all is what our lives looked like before we got the cancer diagnosis. Um, and then how we kind of knew something was going wrong and something went wrong and the way that we listen to our own bodies. Um, we're just going to share our experiences through that. And then um, we would probably, we'll probably wrap up today with what it was like for each one of us to hear that we had breast cancer and what that diagnosis was like. Before we get to that though, let's have a word from our sponsor. Do you ever get to the end of the month and wonder where all of your money goes? Like many others, you have made money mistakes. Are you living paycheck to paycheck and don't know what to do or how to save? Are you sleepless, worried about how to pay your bills and when to pay them? 
Do you need and want to gain control of your money, but don't know who to ask for help? Well, there's hope. Meredith McVeal is a Dave Ramsey preferred money coach and can guide you from financial overwhelm to financial peace using a series of simple and proven steps. With her expert advice, you will learn how to cash flow your income, pay off credit card, medical or student loan bills, and save and invest in your future. Additionally, Meredith is a two-time breast cancer survivor and deeply understands the overwhelming weight of the disease and the costs that go with it. Stop the endless worry and anxiety around your hard-earned money and call Meredith today. The first step is to schedule a phone call at ramseycoach.com forward slash Meredith. That's ramseycoach.com forward slash Meredith or call 314-724-1043. All right. So we are back. We are going to start off by kind of telling you about what our life was like before we were diagnosed. So Beth, tell me what what was going on with your life before you got that call? Yeah. So I was 35 and uh, I have three kids and they were six, four. And uh, my youngest had actually just turned one. She just had her first birthday. Um, I had a sales career. My husband had his own career. And so, you know, we were we were kind of on the path that we had always envisioned for ourselves as a family. I mean, I am a very type A person. I had my life planned out by the time I was in third grade. (laughs) And I was well on the way to accomplishing what I had set out to accomplish. You know, um, I had a career, I had a family, I had a husband I loved dearly, and life was good. I mean, we were really enjoying, um, we were enjoying life. I mean, I was really, really happy. So that's that's what we were doing before I got the news. What what about you? What was that like for you? Yeah, so very similar. We were kind of in family growing mode. Um, I actually was diagnosed when I was pregnant. So I was kind of in that stage of life where what was best for my family work-wise and, and life-wise was what I was doing. So I had a master's degree in athletic training. So I had my, my education was done. I knew I was, I knew I had big goals for things I wanted to do in the future. I knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, even then, um, super happy with my husband and my family and excited to complete our family with the the pregnancy that I was in when I was diagnosed. But for the most part, it was just live in life and doing the best that I could at the time. Yeah. yeah isn't that like funny? I mean, now looking back at it, you know, you have all these plans. Mm-hmm. And I, I really just took it for granted that they would happen. You know, mm-hmm. like, this is the way my life is going to look. This is how it's going to happen. And then you get that news and all of that goes out the window. And mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes that's the bigger trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Everything you thought you knew is completely different. It feels like your um, invincibility card was pulled. Yes. Like you're young and you're, I'm like fresh out of my 20s. I was 31 when I was diagnosed and um, just feeling like I have the world at my fingertips and I have all these plans. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, Oh wow. Like life is a lot more fragile than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's always like a little surreal and right in front of your face. Yeah. I, I actually talk about that quite a bit, that that was the most traumatic part of a breast cancer diagnosis was just, I missed the illusion mm-hmm. Of, you know, that everything was going to go well and that, you know, I took it for granted. And so when it happened, I was so unprepared. I was mm-hmm. so unprepared. And I mean, you and I being, unpre- you know, young survivors, I mean, that's 
what makes up like 10% of total breast cancer patients. So it's not typical. Mm-hmm. And you certainly don't think that's going to happen in the prime of your life. No. So it is kind of crazy, though, whenever you do get diagnosed, how many people come out of the woodwork and tell you, oh, my friend was diagnosed. Oh, my friend was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And so that 10% suddenly feels like a much bigger percentage. I know. <laughs> I, I I often feel like that number is not accurate yeah. based on how many people I know and how often that happens to people. And mm-hmm. Okay, so before we get to how we knew something was wrong, let's tell everybody about our fun new segment called <laughs> Boobs in the News. All righty. So I, I've i always been told, like when I was growing up, a boob was like somebody that made a poor decision or did something silly. And um, and so, you know, oh, so-and-so is such a boob, you know? And I so I assumed when I said, oh, let's do a Boobs in the News, that Sarah knew what that meant. No idea, guys. Yeah. Not not a thing for me. I thought she wanted to do news stories from people's breasts in the news. So <laughs> so when we got together and she finally explained, the light clicked. So hopefully you guys enjoy this as much as we get a kick out of it. Yeah. So this is this is a fun segment where we read stupid tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. Bibs in the news, bibs in the news, bibs in the news. So I pulled this from The Daily Dumbass, which my husband actually, um, he follows all kinds of stuff. You know, it's the typical like man, like, you know, content, like the stuff that he follows. Toilet content. Right. Toilet content. Right. So um, (laughs) when I told my husband I wanted to do boobs in the news, he's like, oh, you should look at The Daily Dumbass. So here it is. So here's a story that I thought was kind of funny. A couple in Seattle called the cops around three in the morning after they woke up to a burglar in their bedroom. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? So scary. Um, So he left when they woke up, but on his way out, he left his backpack that had his wallet and ID in it. Uh, If that wasn't bad enough, the thief called the cops a few hours later to report his wallet stolen to try to get his stuff back. Oops. Uh, (laughs) And since he matched the description of the home invader, he was arrested. Um, yeah, I think that qualifies as qualifies. a boob in the news. Wah, wah. <laughs> Who are these people? I don't know. Okay, that's our boobs in the news for today. Boobs in the news, boobs in the news, boobs in the news. So let's get back to um, how we knew something was wrong. How did you know something was wrong? So like I said, I was pregnant when I was um when I was diagnosed. So I had felt a lump. It was um, the beginning of February. I'll never forget, but um, I felt a lump and I was pregnant and I was in my third trimester. So I just kind of assumed it was my second kid. So I assumed that it was um, my breast getting ready to breastfeed again and um, didn't really think much of it. It was pretty large. And then um, I had taken a hot shower one day and there was some blood coming out of my nipple And that was a little bit of a trigger to me. I happened to be um, working with midwives at the time. And when I went to work, I told them what I saw. And they immediately called up a family doc friend who then got me an appointment the next day and, you know, just kind of made sure made sure that the wheels got it rolling really quickly. And um, that's how I found it. Hmm. Yeah. What so, about you? Well, I felt a lump too. Actually, my husband found the lump. Um, it, but I didn't have any discharge or anything. So mm-hmm. I, I really didn't know that anything was wrong per se. Although looking back in hindsight, we would take family walks around the neighborhood and I was pushing the stroller 
And I would like thinking back on it, I was out of breath, you know, and it would have been no big deal for me to walk the neighborhood. Um, but I was out of breath to the point where my husband's like, are you okay? Cause you're really out of breath for just walking slowly. Um, and I do remember feeling very low energy, kind of lethargic, but you know, as a young mom, you really kind of push that aside as well. You have a one-year-old, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, of course you're tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think that that's important for people to note because it's very easy for us to just kind of push it aside and say, well, yeah, you know, we've got a lot going on. I'm stressed, things like that, but it's really I mean, super important to to listen to your body. So my husband and I were actually in bed and and he was like, he had his arm around me, like we were spooning. He had mm-hmm. his arm around me and he had his hand rested on my on the side of my chest and he he felt it. He was like, what is that? And so he took my hand and kind of put it where he had felt and there was a very large, hard, rooted lump there. And mm-hmm. I just immediately knew it wasn't it wasn't good at all. I just, I immediately was um, filled with dread. I just knew that at my age, I shouldn't be feeling something like that. Um, It's interesting that you kind of knew that right from the get-go because I passed it off. Like it, it's, it's not a big deal. I'm sure I'm fine like that. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. still coming out of my twenties invincibility. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that that's interesting that you kind of like took that as a cue as like, this is this is something. Yeah, I didn't sleep that night. I was really worried about it. My husband less so. He's like, I'm sure it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing, right? Like you're young, you're mm-hmm. healthy. There's no reason, you have no history of breast cancer in your family. There's no reason to think that this is bad. And also like my previous sales history had told me that most of the time, when women get lumps checked out, it's fine, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I was thinking that, but I was nervous. And then I called the next day, my OB. Did you call your OB right away? Uh, No, I was working with the midwives and they checked that next day. Um, It was at the end of the day. And I I do remember my midwife, who's one of my really good friends. She, she was like, Oh, I'm sure it'll be okay. Like, we'll just get you an appointment. And, um, and I knew that it was a big deal when I had that appointment on the next day, when, the provider that I went and saw, who was a family practitioner, um, super, super smart woman, she called herself and and got the appointment for me. Like, mm. she didn't send me away with a card, like, hey, call these people. Mm-hmm. Like, she, wa- she knew she wanted me to get in ASAP. Well, so. and shout out to her as a provider, because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, so to piggyback on that, I called my OB the next day, and her, she asked me, her first question was, are you on your period? And I said, Yeah. And she goes, oh, it's probably a swollen lymph node, Mm. hormone fluctuation, wait a few weeks, call us back if it doesn't go away. So I hung up and I told my husband and he goes, he goes, see, I told you, it's probably nothing. And uh, I just, I, but I knew, I just knew that it wasn't good. And I called her back immediately. I said, you know what? I want my first ever mammogram. And she was like, sure, I'll call it in here. Go to this place. You can have an appointment tomorrow. And, uh, but she, I, I do think about it. Like when I think back on that, what if I would have just taken her at, at that, hung up, and then gotten busy with life and not mm-hmm. called back to have that mammogram. There's something to be said about intuition and your own intuition mm-hmm. and just listening to it. And I think that that served you as best that it could in that situation. And I think like for all women, they just go get it checked out, mm-hmm. you know? So I I did go the very next day to my um, mammogram and I don't know how it went for you, but when I was um, imaged on the mammogram, uh, the technician that was doing it was, I told her how nervous I was. And she's like, well, based on what I'm seeing, I think you're fine. So mm-hmm. I was immediately like relieved. I thought I was in the clear, but she's like, because we felt a lump, let's do an ultrasound. That's when I knew something was wrong because then they could see four masses mm-hmm. and they wanted to biopsy it. So yeah. was it similar for you or? 
Um, yes, it was all in one day. It was Valentine's Day, actually. Mm. Um, I got the, what is so interesting is I was the exact opposite with ultrasound. They couldn't definitively say anything. Um, I just remember they had every single person come into the room. Oh, I need to have this person come check. Oh, I need to have this person come check. And, you know, I'm just sitting there like, okay, do should I be worried about the fact that a hundred people have now come in here to check? <laughs> right. It's so, like having a baby where everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the party for the ultrasound. Right. So, um, they didn't, you know, ultimately, I don't think that they got anything from the ultrasound, but it was when I got the, the results and the images from the mammogram that, you know, they said here is exactly kind of where everything is. And I think it probably a lot that had to do with the complexity of getting diagnosed um, this way was because I was pregnant. So there's lots of things going on. You know, my body was getting ready to have a baby. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, my milk ducts were, you know, trying to click on and um, so that probably complicated the images, but the, the mammogram was what was actually like really conclusive. And then, um, I had that biopsy the exact same day. So, yeah, I had yeah. the biopsy the same day too. Uh, they were telling me that the, um, radiologist was getting ready to leave for the day, but that I needed to come back for a biopsy. And I'm like, uh, no, yeah. I'm like, can you please do this before I leave? I don't want to wait three days with this information. And I mean, because yeah. that's something that everybody that's listening can relate to the waiting. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That, you know, and that with everybody that I have mentored through um, Faith Through Fire, it's like you just have to talking people down off the ledge with the waiting. Like waiting is the hardest. It's the hardest part. part. It is the hardest part and not knowing and especially with like, what if it's a Friday and you have to go into the weekend now? Like what what kind of weekend are you expected to have knowing that you're going to get some kind of news like that at any moment or first thing on Monday or you hope first thing on Monday? Right. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I think the waiting is the most difficult part. It's where I empathize the most with people. Um, And so, yeah, there, I mean, there's only so much you can do. It's just part of the process, but um, it definitely helps to have somebody else, you know, there to calm you down, like you said. Yeah, 100%. So where were you when you got the call? So it was a weekend. Um, I think that this was a, it was a Friday and, um, the doctor that I went to actually called me that weekend when my biopsy results came in. Um, God bless her for that. Um, and I actually remembered we were pulling into my in-laws driveway when we got the call and she let us know. And and there's not a lot that they could definitively have told us about like what stage and, you know, mm-hmm. how far along and everything about the cancer, but they could tell me that um, it was estrogen receptor positive and um, that it was HER2 negative. So I got to know a couple of the things, but still it's like, you know, you still, you you're asking yourself okay what does that mean like yeah I'm learning all these new things and now I have more things to google right now on and this thought, weekend <laughs> yeah and I thought that they would like tell you your stage mm-hmm. like they, they don't know that yet no, no and that's part of the waiting is yeah. that yeah you get this devastating news and you think they're gonna be able to tell you like a prognosis but they can't they mm-hmm. can't tell you a prognosis for like weeks yeah so yeah so you were in your driveway of your in-laws get mm-hmm. this news and yeah. Didn't you tell me like you and your husband kind of went into get it done mode? Yeah, we did. Like we made all the plans, um, you know, knowing that because now we knew it was cancer, we were going to have to have our baby early and, you know, who's yeah, going to watch our toddler and like yeah, there's because lots you're of pregnant. things. I mean, I keep forgetting that as we're talking, but you are pregnant. Were you not freaking out about what this meant for the delivery and the baby? You know, the, the craziest part is, um, yes, obviously, um, but... I think the craziest part was is a part of me was saying I was really glad that I didn't get diagnosed in my first or second trimester. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's a lot of women out there who have like, because I'm on some groups on Facebook, but 
learning about women who have done chemo while they're pregnant, um, you guys are like the strongest people out there. I can't imagine the thoughts that are going through your head when you do something like that. But um, I was glad that really just what it meant is I could carry my baby to a healthy term and then have afterward. Yeah. And then then it was all about me Mm -hmm. and not necessarily about like, how will this affect my baby? Like, Mm. you know, having to think about like, all the other things down the road. So, okay. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. So that was there. Those were the fears. Wow. Yeah. What were, what were some of the fears that were going through your mind when you got diagnosed? Uh, so I was at home kind of waiting for the call. You know, I knew they were going to be calling with my biopsy results after I got the um, biopsy done. They told me it might be a couple days and I got the call the next day, um, from my OB who had put in the order. And, um, I was like sweeping my kitchen floor when the call came up on my cell and it was my OB and I could just tell from her tone of voice that the news wasn't good. Um, even before she said something, um, she asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm sweeping my floor. (sighs) And, uh, that's when she told me my biopsy had come back positive. And I just remember asking her, does that mean I have cancer? And she said, yes. And I kind of went into shock at that point, you know, and, um, but I do remember her clearly saying that she wouldn't want to have treatment if it were her. And I was just, I was in shock and, you know, you're trying to process everything. And so I just asked her, I said, you mean it's so advanced that you would decline treatment if it were you? And she said, oh, I don't know about that. I just meant, I know what you're going to have to go through and it's going to be really difficult. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, that's like when I kind of felt my chest tighten and I was like kind of having a hard time catching my breath. And she told me that the next step was to find a breast surgeon and they would be able to tell me more. But that's really all she had for me. And I hung up the phone and I just it, I was numb. Like I went immediately into like numbness, just trying to figure out like what just happened. Hmm. And so like I walked toward the stairs because my husband works out of the house and he was home. And as I was walking toward the stairs to try to tell like to go tell him him he kind of came down the steps to refill his coffee cup and that's when I was like Gary the doctor called I have cancer and I just remember the look on his face and he was just he just said no and I said yeah and he tried to hug me and I just I I couldn't like I let him hug me but I I like stiffened up and I had my like Mm -hmm. arms at the side like I wouldn't like put my arms around him I just couldn't take the sympathy right then Mm -hmm. you know and um I just I couldn't so um we sat there for a minute. We had 20 minutes to process before we had to go get the kids from school. 20 or 40 minutes. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, had to go pick up the kids from school. And then just like you, you know, start putting plans in place to find a surgeon and mm-hmm. and then everything off and running. It's pretty intense. It is. Being, um, being young, you know, all the things that you have to consider already about kids and plans and schedules and everything. And then to have something kind of just dropped on your lap like that, you know, while you're sweeping the floors is never, it's never the ideal. And, and, And there's no really no way to plan for it. And, and really you just have to do the best that you can with, with all the things that you have and the supports and, and everything that you know in your mind to keep you calm in those situations. Yeah, I agree. I I think too, um, something that I don't know if you had this in your journey, but like at a certain point, you kind of have a decision to make about how are you going to handle this? You know, Mm -hmm. like, did you feel like that? Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, at a certain point, it was, are you going to kind of just use this as a catalyst to improve yourself as a person and do your best, you know, or are you going to let it just totally throw your life and just keep you in a really dark place. Did you, did you feel that way? Like, did you have to make that decision? hundred percent. Yeah. I, um, I think anybody will tell you that I'm always the person that finds the silver linings or, 
You do uh, find a lot of silver linings. The, po- the positive in whatever situation that I have come up against. And I think that that's part of the reason why I'm here. But part of the reason why I like being a mentor with Faith Through Fire is because I was that person that people would say, how are you doing this? And you're not losing your mind. Like, what are you doing at work? You just had chemo two days ago. You know, right. like I, I do think that just putting your mind in the right place about expectations and finding the supports out there, um, whatever that looks like for you, if that means like time alone or if that means like making sure your people are all around you, mm-hmm. um, you know, just making sure that you have that. I don't know. I don't know what the secret sauce is necessarily just because it's different for everybody. I know for me, just my husband is a super grounder. Mm-hmm. I had one day where I was getting really down because I was Googling things a lot. Oh, you don't Google. Yeah, don't Google. And Dr. I got Google. on a lot of Facebook groups and was reading all the horror stories about like, I remember very specifically the night I got the chemo drugs I was going to have to get. I was searching, Facebook searching everybody's Ugh. experience with them and just spent all night just crying and crying and crying. And then the next day he pulled me aside and like put his hands on either side of my face and was like, this is not you. Like, be you and make sure that you don't let this steal you. Oh, so yeah. interesting. So your husband was that person for you that kind of put you on a new path mm-hmm. or just kind of make you, you know, woke you up, right? Yes. Like, brought you back to center. I had a similar experience. I went into the hospital to prep for my surgery and they had to do, you know, the blood work and things mm-hmm. to make sure you're healthy enough to have your surgery. And I was in a patient room and this nurse or aide, I don't know. She came in to do my paperwork and she was whistling and smiling and super joyful. And I was so mad. (laughs) Of course. I was so mad. (laughs) I was like, how dare you, you know, have this attitude of positivity around me, you Mm -hmm. know, and I felt like anything but joyful. And she just must have picked up on it. Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything, but I was just, you know, probably being stony quiet. Sure. And she just stopped what she was doing, looked me dead in the eye and said, don't you let anyone or anything steal your joy. This is a complete stranger that did this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I just, I mean, it just immediately like did the same thing, brought me back to center and thought, she's right. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is not great, right? but this is not all there is. And so from that moment forward, I was like, you've got to choose to get better instead of bitter. Like this is your yep. decision. That's what you have control over in this situation. And then it became my focus. Like, I want to find the silver linings in this. I want to have this grow me as a person. Um, So maybe that's why we're friends, because we both. (laughs) Choice. We understand the power of choice. Right. And the choice to choose a mindset that is going to help you and not turn you into a bitter person or make you hostile. Um, And the choice to just live a life that you're happy about is really I mean, really at the heart of all of this and the reason why we're having this conversation. Well, and I mean, that's your whole career. I mean, you coach coach women to live their best life and to not let that drama in their own mind define who they are, you know, or speak lies to them. You know, that's, I mean, we've both kind of chosen work that really tries to help people get out of that negative space into the positive. Yes. So um, very cool. Well, so if there's one piece of advice for women out there, what do you think it is like based off of what we talked about today? Uh, My piece of advice is listen to your body. I think at the heart of this, it's always about don't brush off something and say it's nothing because there's always a chance it is. And if you find out it's nothing, that's great. That's going to take up less mental space than sitting around for weeks or months or however long fretting about it. Um, Mm -hmm. If it's a signal that your body's giving you or if it's an intuition that you feel, 
listen to it. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And for me, it's just, if you're in this journey, if you haven't already, you're going to find yourself at that crossroads where you have to decide, you know, better or bitter. And, you know, it's obviously our hope that you choose better and then just be relentless in the pursuit of your best life, you know, invest in yourself. And, um, you know, I think if you do, you'll, you'll come out stronger for it. Um, so yeah. Before we wrap up for today, um, we have one more message from a sponsor and we will go to that now. Everyone has been affected by the pandemic and an awesome nonprofit has stepped up to help. If you or someone you love is in need of affordable medication delivered free to your home, consider RX Outreach, the nation's largest nonprofit, fully licensed mail order pharmacy. They offer more than a thousand medications at affordable prices. RX Outreach recently expanded their income guidelines to assist even more individuals and families who are facing severe financial hardships. Visit rxoutreach.org to learn more. And we are back. So on our next episode, episode number two, will be all about inevitable ups and downs of a cancer journey and how you can prepare mentally to handle them. Thank you for listening today. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss our next episode. If you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share and check us out on our websites, sarahjhallcoaching.com and faiththroughfire.org.